0: As you know, the intention today is that I keep quiet and you ask, ask questions. If there isn't enough questions, then I have installed a few which well were asked either in writing or in passing so that we can have mm-hmm. a lot useful time. So let us begin with you, and may I ask, is there anyone who wishes to come forward with a question? Mm -hmm.
1: Could I ask you to clarify something that you said last week, a last time? You quoted Gregory the Great as talking about um, the establishment of marriage. Um, add a new Eve after the fall and just I've heard you say on other occasions that marriage it, the sacrament of marriage existed before the fall and this was the only sacrament to come from before the fall and it seems to me that what you said is better than what Gregory said can you can you clarify
0: Well, I must have expressed myself badly. The union of Adam and Eve from the beginning would be considered as a married estate if you define marriage by the fact that two are no longer two but one. It was an estate which was based on mutual love and oneness that had not yet been broken by sin. After the the fall, God sort of confirms the fact that the fall has not broken the unity of the two it has impaired it by introducing into the relationship discordant notes. But the unity is still there, and this unity is essential for the whole human race not to break apart, and for the whole world to break apart. So that was the idea, I think, of St. Gregory. Um, And it is not a new uh, sacrament, but what he insists on, which I must have expressed badly, what he insists on is that even at that moment, marriage was a sacrament because the world cannot subsist without sacrament. Now that mean, does not mean a sacramental life in the way in which we speak of it when we speak of the sacraments of the church. But it means um, a relationship between two and beyond them to children, a relationship between two that does not allow the um, human race to dislocate, that is one thing, and on the other hand, makes it possible for the human air to remain an image of God, one in many. speak one in many because at this point the Bible does not speak of the Trinity as such. So that it is a sacrament in the sense that it is a relationship in God of two who are not broken apart from one another. Does that make sense? is the purpose of marriage.
1: Because of bearing children
0: only. No, marriage is not justified only if there are children. And in a way, the purpose of marriage is the continuation of the human race. But marriage in itself is self sufficient, a mystery that overcomes separateness, mutual alienation, estrangement, and maintains the unity in God of human beings. So that, for instance, in a marriage in which uh, um, the two cannot have children, natural reasons um, the marriage is not impaired it is as complete and as perfect although the begetting of children is part of the mystery of marriage I'm being told that there is someone in this hall who would like to ask a question, but is too shy to do this. Supposing we all shut our eyes and open, open <laughs> 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 Would this person summon the courage and ask a question? I will shut mine and wait, say for 15 seconds. Excuse me.
1: I'm almost. I'm not too shy. I'm almost too shy because this is probably a very stupid question. But was the begin the beginning of children part of God's plan for Adam and Eve before the fall?
0: I think yes. But um, there is no text to support it. But there is certainly uh, the evidence that God would not have created man and woman, as two different sexes, to no purpose. And Saint John Chrysostom, with a touch of naivete, says that obviously that is the reason, because if it was a question of working the garden, another man would have been much
1: more (laughs) (laughs) useful. of the body, what is the place of medicine in the Christian understanding of the relationship of body and soil? Is it against uh, this uh, view on the uh, relationship of
0: mm-hmm. the living and body? But leaving, um, leaving the relationship between soul and body mm-hmm. is a separate point. The place of medicine is a uh, can be seen in, to, to, in two periods as it were. Before the fall, there is no reason to think that there should have been a decay in health or, a, or illness. But once the fall came, um, the harmony of the world was destroyed and s- sickness in all its forms began <coughs> to appear. There is a passage in the book of Genesis, I think, that says, and gradually death took hold of mankind. It was a gradual process in which mankind grew frailer, weaker, more uh, capable of being attacked and destroyed. Now, after the fall, And throughout uh, history, illness was present, but also healing was present. And there is a passage in uh, one of the the canonical books um, in which we are told: "If uh, you fall ill, do not." despise the help of a doctor because it is God who has created the drugs and it is God who has given the the healer, the doctor his knowledge and wisdom but when you fall ill turn in to yourself (coughs) and ask yourself what is wrong with you in general in other words not in medical terms, but ask yourself whether what made you frail and capable of falling in Ill, and giving way to uh, illness, whether it is not your mental condition, uh, the fact that you are not fighting for health, you, the fact that there is a deep disharmony in you, which reflects also on your body. And so he says, the the book says, um, examine yourself in addition to, to this, but do not despise the healer or the drug. There is in the life of Saint Seraphim also a passage in which he advised someone to go to the doctor, to be treated, because God has given the knowledge to the doctor and the power of healing to the substances which um, are used. So that you can find in the book of Sirach in the 38th chapter.
1: Yes, um, I also have an opinion that uh, just healing, uh, uh, just going to the healer, to the doctor, uh, means uh, just the fear of death. You are driven by the fear of death, which is not right. I wonder whether you could comment on Even
0: if you are driven, the doctor by the fear of death, or only by the unpleasantness of being ill. But it's a perfectly legitimate action because we must all fight as much as we can for wholeness and wholeness on all levels, physical, mental, spiritual, and The fear of death is a special uh, subject in the sense that basically, death is an unnatural event in the life of created beings. Originally, no created being was made in order to die. So we all created the (coughs) military sense of horror at the thought of, die, of death. Now, um, this is a natural condition. If we turn further to the gospel and to the world into which God has come to save the world, then death acquires a slightly different uh, aspect in the sense that on the one hand it is a monstrous thing to happen in a created world that was made in order to live eternally growing from glory to glory (coughs) on the other hand in the world in which we live death um, is a moment when we are freed from imprisonment uh, in in the world while we are decaying more and more. You know, there is a Russian uh, children's story which um, a person obtains the power of not dying, but has not got the wisdom to make sure that not dying goes together with not aging. And gradually this person goes from strength to strength and then down and down and down. And the moment comes when frailty, illness is such that this person longs for death which escapes it. So in that sense, death is a liberation On the other hand um, death after Christ has got a new dimension in the sense in which St. Paul puts it that for me life is Christ and death is again because as long as I live in this body I am separated from God, and it's only by being free from the limitations of my body that I will be able to be face to face with Christ and into a relative plenitude of life. As a relative, because plenitude of life will come only with the resurrection, with the body being. And not only the soul. And there is um, a remarkable passage in Saint Ephraim of Syria, just a phrase almost in passing, in which he says that when we speak of the resurrection, we must not imagine that it's enough for our soul (coughs) to wish for the resurrection of the body. The body is free to say yes or no. So the resurrection is conditioned not only by the longing of a soul, but by the acceptance of new life by the body. And if what I have said in the talks is sufficiently true, uh, then the body, the material substance of, our, uh, of the creatures, Is is pure of stain. It is a victim of the fall. It is not a cause of the fall. I can't remember who. Uh, I think it is not a spiritual writer, but Dr. Alexis Carrel in his book one of his books who says that the body has natural functions for instance hunger tiredness it is our psyche who super adds to it greed or laziness and I think it's a very important thing Our body asks for food. We say, oh yes, but what I want is to go to the best restaurant and get this and that. Mm -hmm. The body asks for water. We say, no, I prefer good wine. But this is not a cry of the body. It's It's a activity of our psyche. And it's in all orders the body is stainless and a victim at the same time because things are forced upon it which are not his longing. The body wants food. It does not want the kind of food that destroys it and so forth. We will come to this question of life and death, maybe when we come to Christ and uh, the new life. Yes, very.
1: Is there a teaching of the Orthodox Church that the sins of the parents uh, fall on their children after the fourth generation? I know that it existed in the Old Testament, but um, does the Orthodox Church take it as well? Or it's only the opinion of something?
0: There is no teaching in the Old church that the sins of the parents fall as a curse upon um, the children that we have to pay for it. There are um, passages in the Old Testament that are ambiguous in that respect. What We, um, and we have an unfortunate vocabulary in, such, in this line because the sin of Adam comes upon us not as sin to be punished for, but as a consequence, in the same way in which a child born of alcoholic parents or parents who are sick with AIDS inherits illness but it's not his sin. It is the consequences of something that was a sin or was not even a sin, but an accident in the life of the parents. And I think it's very important for us not to think that Adam sinned, and we are all sinners in that respect. I think it's a question of defining the notion of sin more properly than we do because practically when we speak of sin or experience sin we experience it as a bad action or an evil world well sin is a condition in which we have we lost touch with God the sin of Adam was basically that he got began to turn away from God and look elsewhere. But um, he did not intend to reject God. Neither do people, when they sin intend to reject God. But the consequences of um, Adam and Eve falling away from God, and the consequences throughout history of parents or whole societies uh, living badly or falling away from what they should be of course reflect on every single individual. But there is no such thing as the sin of Adam being a sin of everyone after him, it may result in frailty, it may result in confusion. Um, take, for instance, in the beginning of Genesis, also the offerings made by Cain and by Abel. Both were giving, making offerings to God. But Abel was aware that everything he possessed was a gift of God. And he simply brought back to God the best he had. But it was God's in his uh, views. From what we know of Cain, Cain brought to God what he had created, made. And one could say, that he was saying to God is, this is mine, I give it to you as a present. And that makes a quite a great deal of difference. And I can't resist the temptation of uh, telling you a story about... What is God and what is not. In a folkloric life of Moses, there is a story of Moses meeting in the desert with a shepherd and he stays with him a few days. And he notices that this shepherd collects the best milk he has takes it into the wilderness, into the desert, places it on a flat stone, and leaves it there during the night. And having observed that once or twice, Moses says to this shepherd, "What, what are you doing? Why do you waste this milk? "Oh," said the shepherd, I'm not wasting this milk. I take the best milk which God has given me and give it for him to drink. And Moses, who knows all things, uh, says, so far, God is a spirit, he doesn't drink milk. And the poor shepherd is desperately downcast because he says, I have no way of expressing my love of God because I'm uneducated, I know nothing, <coughs> I don't know how to pray properly, but I have this milk which I give him. And so far, I knew that um, he received it. What is your evidence? So Moses said, very simple, let's hide and see. So they hide, and they see a little fox coming trot the trot in the night, knocking up the milk and disappearing back in the desert. And the next day, the shepherd is more miserable even than when he heard Moses' rebuke. And God, and um, Moses feels quite unhappy about it. And he turns to God and says, what have I done wrong? What can I, how can I repair it? Because this man really can do nothing to expresses love and veneration of you. And God says to him, yes, Moses, you have done wrong. You were right in one thing, I don't drink milk. But there is in the desert, this little fox who has lost his parents, and I share my milk with him. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, there is also this aspect of things. Yes? you mentioned.
1: Um, Could you speak because you mentioned at some point. I don't know if the Trinity, the mind, and the psyche, and beyond the psyche. On the subject of deep disharmony, and uh, um, a little bit from my own experience. And uh, I've been, I know my mind to some extent, um, and I know my mind's demands. I also know the psyche and this oppression. Um, But And then I came later to be very tired of both. But it seems to me that I know very little of the third. I know very little of the spirit, which is supposed to be the most uh, important, because it's been created. And um, I came to the point to realize that I actually can't recognize You know, the first two are so demanding and noisy and horrific. And I actually suddenly realized I don't know the third one, the very, the very one. Um, Can you say something? Do you have your own experience? I
0: will try to answer your question I what i it say to the with In a human being of three things the body, the, <clears throat> the soul, which we would call all the psyche. simple proposition in a sense it is our material support as God has created us but as a result of our fault and our personal sins what could be pure materiality in its purity in its perfection in its harmony has is continuously impaired and uh, soiled by our desires or the way we treat our body. Then there is, and that is the distinction which we have between Uh, the body and the flesh. The body is what God has made and willed it to be. The flesh is the same body having become a victim of the human sin. Now, um, what we call the soul or the psyche, is all our self-awareness, all our intellectual, our emotional and other uh, human qualities. And this is the point of impact in which man is free, free to turn Godwards or away from God. It is these powers of the psyche that turn him towards good or evil according to his freedom. Now, we can be aware of this aspect of ours. As far as the spirit is concerned, we are told that when the human being was created, God breathed into him, his own breath. It is what sustains him beyond the natural and links him to God himself, makes him capable of knowing God. It is what, in other terms, we call the spirit. Now, um, we cannot I think we are aware of our spirit in the, way, in the way in which we are aware of our body or of our psychological um, functions. It is too intimate and too mysterious. It is linked with our knowledge of God. We discover the spirit in us through communion with God. A writer which Professor Kassagno, who does not name, says faith is God's presence within us. The spirit is the power of God moving us and calling us him and making us capable of communing. But we beca- can be or become aware of it all only to the extent to which we commune deeper and deeper with God and begin to distinguish what is our natural, intellectual, emotional, or other exercises from something which is God's action within us. I don't think I can explain myself better. Can you say something more to help?
1: Well, my thought was like this that um, it's, it should be, I mean, that's my the, spirit, the creative logic. It should be a very powerful element the spirit, uh, because it uh, it is going to um, live beyond and leave the eternity. So it has to be something very powerful and something noticeable. Something <coughs> somehow. You know. Um, um, I'm just so disappointed with you know, with the with the mind of the side here. And I'm just, you know, searching and I think, where is it? It has to be somewhere.
0: Um In your pocket. <laughs> <laughs> but I, what I would say yes, is I that it, <laughs> it is if um, the life power within us. But we cannot analyze and recognise it as such. Is the power to live. It is our elan um, Godwards. It's our elan towards our neighbour. It's our awareness that we are more than flesh and intellect. It's uh, uh, our sense that there is in us something that is a beyond which is at a very core root of our being and also lifts us above us. In a way, one could say, um, as a spiritual writer has put it on in another context, we do not see the light, but the light allows us see everything we cannot see this divine presence in action within us until we have reached such maturity of spirit that we can commune with God with a a deep awareness of it but otherwise the power of God is in action in us, giving impulse to everything which is our psyche, everything which is our body, uh, driving us, calling us, moving us, heaven world, God uh, beyond the empirical self which we are now. <laughs>
1: Last thing on that subject is that um, then everything what you mentioned about the power which uh, pushes us towards God—that is the spirit—directly in conflict with my psyche and with my mind, because my mind and my psyche doesn't want any of that. It conflicts, and my psyche wants exactly, you know, something. Very human and comfortable. Just wants comfort, um, and uh, mind wants even more. I mean, and so there are actually in contradiction with this
0: force. I don't think you need be aware of it, because it is. We are not aware of the light in which we are made. We are not aware of the air which we breathe. We are not aware of a great deal of things within us. And around us, which are our life actually, and in the uh, and if you turn to the saints who are becoming aware of God in a intense and concrete manner, then they become aware of these things. We have got to grow a great deal, or to be confronted all of a sudden, almost from the outside, say like St. Paul on the way to Damascus and uh, other states, uh, other situations, that, no, there is in me something that can respond to someone who speaks to me, someone who is there, but this is not our continuous condition. How can
1: we be absolutely sure that the faith that we have Really, a faith in someone who we've been taught and we believe he cares for us and is a loving God, and is not a great auto suggestion with which fulfills a long psychological and spiritual. Experience. How can we be sure that our faith is, is really what we think it is?
0: How can we be aware? that it is God and not auto-suggestion. I think somehow there is in um, the presence and action of God something which is contradictory to uh, auto-suggestion. or the suggestion does not give us the intensity of life and the intensity of power to confront tragedy, which God's presence does, if we allow God, uh, if we give God the benefit of the doubt, in the sense that if we do not say everything which is wrong is your fault, and um, what is good? Well, I can manufacture myself. It is not true. We cannot manufacture ourselves or that we don't know, <coughs> materially, to a certain extent, we can do it. But in our inner self, I believe that there is a sort of inner evidence I don't think I can give a proof or proofs for that.
1: It's just that we long so much. Um, we long so much to believe. And we have believed very often that, that something happens. And we um, looks great.
0: it's a question that can be um, within each of us what we expect of God is serenity peace of mind intensity of life within us courage to meet situations and we find it very difficult at times to accept something very painful as something which is either positively willed by God or accepted by Him. And we turn to Him and say, enough, give me evidence that it is all right. Prove it to me. And we don't always get this evidence. The the thought has just come to me of a passage from the writings of Saint-Johan, The Recruits, in which he says, the most appalling thing in life is to be confronted with someone's suffering and do all we can and become aware that we are prevented from helping this person because this person has not reached through suffering. through. Uh, the struggle, the maturity which would allow this person to find peace without maturity, as it were. You know, a little as when someone is given a task, finds it difficult, at times, someone fulfills the task instead of him or her, and prevents this person from learning how to fulfill it, how to face it. Um, This is particularly difficult when death comes. Um, My father died On Easter Monday. My mother died during the night from Good Friday to Saturday and I remember one of our singers in the choir saying to our choir master, well we'll have a dismal Easter because Father Anthony will have nothing but misery to share with us. And I was so grateful to the Kuala Master said, no, he believes in God sufficiently. And I think um, there are moments when we can be in extreme pain and distress, but we can say, I trust you. I trust you in spite of the fact that everything is against you. I always expected you to be my friend, my protector, my defender, and here you let me down. Am I going to say, if that's the case, I can't trust you anymore? Or can I say, if you leave me alone, is to give me a chance to be strong, to be faithful, and to be harrowed very deeply in my soul, so is that so that I can receive a new seed of life. I know that this sounds. Um, insensitive but I from my experience of death and the deaths of many many people around this is what I have come to feel that there are moments when God says you have trusted me in good things can you not trust me if I just step back and say I've seen you enough strength enough faith Enough maturity for you to face things, and then I will come and add. Not consolation, but something more wonderful than this into your life. First. Can mm-hmm. you do a little Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Please, I'm sorry. Okay, I'm <coughs> um, against the, the backdrop of your last talk, which I found very beautiful, because it was about life-giving relationships. A few days later, I was at the London Lighthouse with four people, four young people, who were HIV-infected. And I think an answer to the previous questions helped me to understand why I found in an enormous transparency, because they made choices, and they were leading workshops with other young people from schools all around London try and help these young people avoid the same choices and and not have a a sort of death penalty hanging over their lives. It's a great battle that they are living through each person. Um, I think my question would be because I'm a doctor who treats the children with HIV and AIDS in Russia who started talking about some staggering statistics which even Russia might look forward to population of children with HIV and AIDS, which was very distressing to hear, Um, I found that when you actually wade into this world of sin, because that's how you talked about it, sometimes you come across a purity which you don't find if you remain in a place which is safe, safe haven, safe and clean and sterile. And I was thinking about, again, in in relation to my other answers, a little child with HIV, you would die of AIDS, he was in a Romanian hospital, and it was the most dilapidated room you'd ever come across, your mother not as cot, and the baby was all wrapped up with a rag because they were so poor. But, but the, the baby was sort of pure on the outside and fast asleep, another was a prostitute and another being treated for hepatitis. The baby was perhaps purer than anything I have seen since. So my question is, I suppose, the church in Romania tends to still remain on one side of the road and let people with HIV and AIDS, including children, be on the other side. Um, how to bridge that and, and how not to, to create a safe space in the church? I think there are two sides
0: what you said Uh, speaking in general of any disease or any condition there are very many people who are simply victims and these victims at times not always of course remain pure and uh, luminous in a way in which we are not, especially children, small children, and acquire or possess a wisdom, are given, a wisdom which is beyond us. Uh, I remember uh, the case of a child I can't remember whether I saw the child or whether uh, a senior doctor told me about it, so I may have told the story in various ways because the point was a child and not the story. A child who was small but mature enough to think and to respond and who suffered a great deal and one day the child was asked how is it that in spite of continuous suffering and the awareness that you may die you are always at peace and the child says something to the effect I'm not making quotations something to the effect that I've been ill so long. And you know, in the life of a child of seven or eight, uh, six months, a very long time, I have suffered so long that I have learned now not to suffer today, yesterday's pain, and not to anticipate tomorrow's, and to face only two days. Well, this is something which... I believe very few grown up are capable of and not only physical pain, but pain on all levels, fear or distress of any kind. We are. We suffer in a cumulative manner. When we suffer now, we bring into it all the suffering which we have had. And in a way, it is natural. In another way, when it is grown up people, it can be controlled. Uh, In a way, it is natural because people who are perfectly or very well controlled, may come to a point when they can no longer manage it and i remember when i was a little boy in persia there was a very courageous cossack officer who had proved himself in battle in the war and whom i admired for his extreme courage and then he got news of the illness, I think, of a friend. And he suddenly burst into tears. And I remember I was five or six, and I turned to my father and said, what that? This man who is so courageous, so firm, so unshakable, and he begins to cry like this, and my father said the thing which I have kept all my life, he said, remember, that in every tear a person sheds, there is all the pain and suffering of his whole life. One does not simply cry for the momentary event. This momentary event comes as a crowning to all the pain and blessed. And I think that is an irre- irrelevant thing. And um, a child can be serene in a way in which we cannot because the child doesn't accuse himself of anything and he doesn't even accuse others. It has come. And if the child is surrounded with sufficient care, the care counterbalances the agony. This I have seen in children's wards, in the hospital. I have not seen what you have seen in Romania. But one of the important things is when anyone suffers that the suffering should be counterbalanced by the understanding and the compassion um, and the care of others I don't use the word love because it's too too great a word but it it doesn't correspond either to a sentimental of the person, encouraging uh, the person it means compassion, suffering together with the person Uh, taking the person's suffering into one's mind and heart and suffer our own pain and in sympathy with the other to be there side by side with this person. It's more difficult with adults in general because adults very often defend themselves against people's compassion or sympathy. Or we express our compassion sympathy to an adult in a way which is very often painful, hurtful. A child is prepared to receive tenderness. A grown-up does not want very often to be intruded into. Very often there is not enough trust on the part of a grown-up person I remember occasions when people came to visit a patient in hospital and one could see that the visitor hoped not to be involved and said to the patient, how are you today? And one can see in in the eyes of the patient the awareness that this question did not require a truthful answer that what this visitor wanted is to not to be involved and the answer comes oh I feel better and then you can see in the face of the visitor ah oh, how happy I am that you are better which in reality means how happy I am that you are not involving me in your pain and that is a terrible experience, because the suffering person is left with a double suffering, (coughs) the actual suffering that is there, and also the feeling that the other person doesn't want to share it, that stay alone with your suffering, but do not spoil my peace by forcing me to share it. Um, Jean, you wanted to say something?
1: Oh yes. Um, With your remarks on the creation of Eve out of Adam in mind, what would be your comment on something I had some years ago when in a hospital on the slopes of Mount Kenya? A Scots physician was speaking and he said, we are descended from six Africans.
0: Sorry, what is the last phrase?
1: We are descended from six Africans. Six what? Africans.
0: Oh. (laughs) I don't think I have any comment. Um,
1: I suppose a supplementary might be if evolution took so very, very, very long, why did it take the Almighty until 2,000 years ago to bring His Son into the world?
0: Um, there are several things in your question. First of all, I don't think <coughs> that Genesis can be put in parallel with what we know about the um, um, the appearance of man and the evolution and so on it's not meant to it's meant to give characteristics and certainly not chronology and not description of events the other thing is that To come to that in detail in one of the next talks but for the moment I would say one of the characteristics of the acts of God resides in the fact that after his primordial act of creation and of calling mankind into existence all the rest he wants to do in cooperation and um, This is probably the meaning of the genealogy of Christ (coughs) and what precedes and follows. God uh, wants man freely to enter with him into a new relationship. And this requires, after the choice which of an evening of turning away from God in order to merge into matter, a reversal. And I understand the question because it is not only a question of length of time. It is the horror of centuries and thousands of years but God could not intervene otherwise than by saying, I deprive you of the freedom which makes you my equals. I will put you right, but you will be puppets that cannot go wrong. You cannot be my friends, you cannot be my equals, I cannot be your brother or your father, you will be a perfectly adjusted mechanic. But to that, I think I would like to come in greater detail. <coughs> One more question after which,
2: then finish. Okay. Yes. What I wanted, I wanted to ask something very clever. So I thought about, well, asking something very simple. I it. The whole thing, do you? talk about in a couple of lectures, last lectures, was about the state of man before fall, and then the difference which Paul brought in. But if we speak about that, we, uh, this difference is spiritual, as I understand. It is not that we had before fall, man was stronger or lived longer. It was a spiritual difference. But with this, uh, there, is, there is a little, I, mean, I can't say that I had hand, but I had lost hand And heaven, of course, to an anymore. But if I say that I had state of communication with God, and I don't have it anymore, then shouldn't I have at least some image of what this communication was? And in that case, don't I have it now? I mean, if I can't say things like, I was thinking, but I'm not thinking anymore, that would be so contradictory I
0: think you can remember that you were in communion and communication with God. But the moment you have lost it, you can no longer recapture it. It's like friendship. You may have been the closest friend to a person. Then something has happened, and you are no longer it. You can try in imagination to recapture what it meant, but you cannot re-experience it. To experience it a new relationship has been established which will bring, you, bring back everything that was lost. But remembering is not enough. Remembering happiness is one thing, experiencing is another. Uh, remembering suffering. Um, is one thing experiencing is another um, we all know what it means to experience pain once the pain is over you cannot re-experience it you can describe it at times better than when you, you were in the throes of it that's all you can do and I think Uh, mankind can, let's speak of Adam and Eve, could remember that the relation was so deep, so real, and I can't catch it again. I have lost something. Now I'm afraid we'll have to come again because I can't manage more. Our next uh, talk Um, to this, what, the sixth? Well, look up in uh, the timetable where our next talk is, because I don't want to confuse you. And I will continue. What I would like to do, but... um, There are several things I want to do in, in La which one. There is one thing I would like to do, is to look at the meaning of words. Half words before the fall meant one thing, and how they have degenerated in uh, the situation after the fall. Um, Well, to give you just a crude example, which in the English Bible, God is called the jealous God. And from there, there is a whole theology of the jealous God that has emerged. If you look at the original text, with Hebrew, or the Greek translation, you see that the word in Greek is zelos, which means full of zeal, full of Intensity of order, and in the time of Saint James's uh, translation, the word jealous meant that it has stopped meaning it. No, a jealous person is not a person like this. And if you turn to the Hebrew, you have a word to express it that means hot, um, red hot for. for piece of metal. It's a god that is all fire, never indifferent, never cold. And the our translation that has been made into Indian language, in which the word was uh, derived from arua, which means an arrow that flies with intensity. That's how God was seen. So we must be very careful when we read the Bible in our respective languages, to be sure that a translation made at a certain moment may have meant something different from another moment. (coughs) Not to speak of the fact that the texts at times are far from being clear and the same text may be translated in totally different ways. So, I would like to go into that a little to clear the ground. Now, just one moment, yes.
1: What is the best English translation do you think we can read now?
0: You know, I think any translation is approximative. There is an Italian saying that traduttore e traditore, uh, a translator is a traitor. (laughs) Um, But there is a remarkable passage, a remarkable fact, that all the saints of Christendom read the scriptures in unsatisfactory translation. But they did not read it with a dictionary. They read it with all their soul, and they knew what it said in spite of what was written. And uh, Sir of Mount Athos said once that if all the scriptures were annihilated, it would make no difference, (coughs) because it could be known by the Holy Spirit in the hearts of every person who seeks God. So we should not be so terrified of translations, but we should not build a world outlook on one word or another. I'll give you another example. On the eve of Christmas, we read a passage from Isaiah, which in the English translation says that a child will be born from the Virgin who will not drink, well, strong drink, to uh, not to use the odd words used. The same passage is translated in the Septuagint, which were translating a hundred years before Christ in Alexandria. A child will be born, who before he can discern good from evil, will have chosen the good. The same words were seen because uh, of the writing. So that we must be very careful not to become slaves of a text, to use it, yes, to ponder over it, but then to turn to God and not to the dictionary or to a good dictionary that will enlighten us about basic meanings. <coughs> now, I will stop at this point. Okay?